what is fear? Well, my definition of fear, and I don't know if it's a good one, but it's in spite of my best efforts, something undesirable is going to happen and I can't stop it. And I think that's the fear with this whole coronavirus is something undesirable is going to happen. People I love are going to get sick and I can't stop it. I can't even see it. But I want to remind you what God's word says in 2 Timothy 1.7. It says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So a good question is if God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, then why are we accepting something that has not come from God? Fear is a big deal in the story of God. It's all throughout this word. In fact, 365 times in the book, it says, do not fear. And I haven't counted that, but that's what biblical scholars tell me. That's pretty cool if that's true, because that means there's one do not fear for every single day of the year. It's God saying, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm with you. The problem with fear is it undermines the goodness and the greatness of God. Think about it. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. He comes into your life. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So I've got this omnipotent, all-powerful God living inside of my body. And yet when I have fear, it undermines him. It undermines the goodness and greatness of God that is in me. And so fear can be debilitating. And if you are fearful today and you have high anxiety or stress, those are all cousins of fear I don't want you to feel defeated this morning. You're actually in really good company. This book is chock full of fearful people. In Numbers 13, Moses sends out 12 spies into the promised land. This is the land that God has promised to the Israelites. And he says, I want you to go check out the land and come back and report to us. Million plus people, send out 12 of you, go check it out. And they come back and 10 of the 12 come back with very negative, fear-filled responses. Oh, Moses, it was beautiful. Oh, it, it, it is a land flowing with milk and fruit and honey, but there are giants there. They're already inhabiting the land. We look like grasshoppers compared to these men. There's no way we can inhabit this land. It's already been taken over. And there was this fear. And based on this report, all of Israel became terrified, and they stayed in the wilderness, wandering around instead of inheriting this land, this promised paradise that God wanted to give them. Remember the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18. I love the story of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet at a time when King Ahab was in power. King Ahab was a wicked, really a weak king. And he married a, a lady named Jezebel. Um, nobody in here has a daughter named Jezebel. Jezebel ruined the name Jezebel for all Jezebels and the future of Jezebels. This Jezebel. Jezebel was a wicked woman. She uh, brought into Israel uh, worship of, of a god named Baal. And that was detestable to God. And Elijah says, well, you think Baal is the one true God? I think God is the one true God, so I got an idea. Why don't we go on top of Mount Carmel and, and we'll both build altars and we'll summon our God. And whichever God consumes our altar with fire is the one true God. So Jezebel agrees to this. She sends up 450 prophets of Baal to the mountain. This is such a cool story, Mount Carmel. And so uh, Elijah's a gentleman. He goes, you go first. And so... They build this altar, and, and they're shouting and screaming and cutting up. And, uh, <laughs> and it's from like morning until around noon, and nothing's happening. So Elijah, it's great. Read 1 Kings 18. He starts trash-talking a little bit. He goes, hey, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe, he, you're just, maybe you just need to shout a little louder. So they do. They're shouting loud. They're cutting themselves, hoping that their blood will somehow summon Baal. Nothing happens. So Elijah says, okay, enough with this. It's my turn. 
So he comes up, he's got the altar there, and he goes, go get four buckets of water. Drench it. Just pour it all over the altar. Go get four more. Pour it on the altar. Go get four more. Pour it out. Now the altar is soaking. It's drenched. It's, it's standing water. And Elijah stands up, he looks up, and he prays to God. And immediately fire rains down from heaven, licks up all of the water, completely consumes the altar, and everybody starts going bananas. They're like, Elijah's God is the one true God. Elijah's God is the one true God. But that's not where it ends. Elijah says, you have deceived the people of Israel, you 450 prophets of Baal. And so he goes on to slay 450 prophets of Baal. It's an amazing victory for God, an amazing victory for Elijah. But look at the very next three verses. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Are you kidding me? He just laid 450 prophets of Baal. His God consumed his altar. The whole community of Israel is saying, Elijah's God's the one true God. And yet he gets an empty threat from a wicked queen and flees in fear. One of the most famous fear stories in the Bible is 1 Samuel 17. It's the standoff between the armies of Israel and the Philistines. Uh, <laughs> it's good versus evil, light versus dark. Uh, it's, it's, it's God people and the godless people. They had gods, just not our God. But within this particular backdrop, there was a giant named Goliath who came out day after day after day, and he would taunt the people of Israel. And uh, we see it happening in verse 4. It says, a champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. So that's just over nine feet tall. And I don't want to brush over the word champion. That means he had a record. Like when he came out, everybody knew Goliath. Like they knew him. He had a record. He was a champion. He had a lot of history. And some of those things that scare us, like coronavirus, they have a history, don't they? They've got a track record. We've seen what it's done in China. We've seen what it's done in Italy. And so that creates some fear in us. When Goliath stepped out, it wasn't just, here's a big guy stepping up. Here's the champion Goliath. I love, like, <laughs> I love wrestling and UFC and that kind of stuff. And so I just, I, I'm sorry, this is the way my brain works. I just get the picture of like, you know, Bruce Buffer coming out going, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. In this corner, we have this so-and-so from what and what, and he's uh, an Israelite, a record of 12 and 0. Yay, David. And in this corner, standing in at nine foot tall, hailing from Gath. Who's from Gath? Like, that's the worst name ever. From Gath. He is 53 and 0 with 67 knockouts. Yeah, he knocked people out in the fight, revived them, and knocked them out in the same fight. He's the undisputed, undefeated, welterweight, heavyweight, flyweight, bantamweight. He's got the women's championship. He's got them all. Goliath! Right? It's just the way my brain works, I'm sorry. But I just get this picture of like, it's Goliath, here's this champion. And then in verse 5, it says, He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze wearing five, weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 155 pounds of armor, by the way. That's like a high school boy. <laughs> Some of you couldn't ha uh, carry a high school boy. He's wearing it as clothes. 
On his legs were bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's 18 pounds just on the tip of the spear. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted of the ranks, to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So this has been going on for 40 days and for 40 nights. He's taunting day and night. In the morning he's taunting. In the evening he's taunting. He's saying, I don't even know why you're here, Israelites. Look at verse 10. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And if you skip down to verse 20, you see another situation. Jesse sends David to basically go check on his brothers. His brothers were part of the, the fighting crew. They were part of the, the battle. And he goes, go check on your brothers. And so David does. Verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of, the shepherd, of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Can you imagine how, how wimpy that war cry must have been? All right, everybody, don't die on three. One, two, three, don't die, right? Like, <laughs> Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. Verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, here he is again. <laughs> Goliath, he's coming in, he's wearing a high school kid, he's got this javelin with an 18-point-pound tip on the, like just all this. Stepped down from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw him, saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. You're in good company. The Bible is chock full of fearful people. And so if you have trepidation, if you have timidity, if you have those things, it's normal. But God didn't give it to you. So why are we accepting something that is not from God? I just want to lean into the reality of what this looks like. We all gather and we lift up our war cry and we position ourselves for battle. And then a giant, like this virus, steps out in the night. And once again, defies the power of God in our lives to keep us and save us. And having heard his taunts and seen his sighs, we also turn and run away. Fear, it is debilitating. And the enemy only wants to come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's, that's his M.O. That's what he does. Even the disciples were fearful all the time, and they were walking around with God in the flesh most days. Like God is standing next to them, and they were always scared. Look at Matthew chapter 8, famous story when they're on a boat together. Then he got into the boat. By the way, Jesus got into the boat, a lot of times he was gaining in popularity, and people would press into him, and he, he couldn't get in his like Honda Civic and drive away. So a lot of times he'd get done preaching, and then if you read the scriptures, he just gets onto a boat. Like, that's his way of going, I gotta go, right? Like he, had to, he had to get away from people, and that's what he would do. He got on the end of the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake. Probably something like we had about 6 o'clock this morning. So that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. 
The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. You of little faith, why, why are you afraid? Implication, implication, faith is the opposite of fear. He says, you have little faith. He didn't say, you have great faith. Why are you afraid? He goes, you have little faith. Faith is the opposite of fear. A little bit later in Matthew, Jesus is feeding 5,000 people. Amazing miracle. And the disciples are pumped. Look at Matthew 14. This is just a few chapters later. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Why did he make them get in the boat? Because they remember the last time they got on the boat, <laughs> the storm happened, and Jesus took a nap. So like, I don't want to get on the, get on the boat. And so he makes them get on the boat. And go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So they got these same guys, they're in the same boat, probably on the same lake. And, and this time it's not a storm. We're not talking about a storm, but there's a really strong headwind. And they're, these, I mean, they know, this is what they did before they met Jesus. They know how to navigate a boat. And they're, they're rowing and they're rowing and they're making no progress. This wind is so strong. They're exhausted. They're soaking wet. They've been rowing for hours. Look at verse 25, shortly before dawn. We've been rowing all night at this point. Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. It's you, Jesus? Yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you weren't with us, but you were watching us? Yeah. In fact, there's a time when I'm going to go away. And I'm not going to be on this planet anymore, but I'm going to still watch you. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. Lord, if it's you, verse 28, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Can you imagine that scene? Like we read that and we've heard it so many times in Sunday school. But can you imagine that scene? He's like, hey, Lord, if that's truly you, then let, ask me to come out there. And so Jesus goes, come. Really? Oh, yay. This is two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. I'm walking on it. He's walking toward Jesus. Just the excitement of that. But verse 30, when he saw the wind, and I don't even know how you see wind. I don't even know how that works. I think what he's saying is that when fear attacks you, it's almost this multi-sensory way of attacking you. It just it gets you from all sides. And he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Why is he afraid? Well, for one, the swell from this water is like 14 feet high. I just got a sheet of water up my nose, and I'm walking on the water. Are you kidding me? I'm actually, my, my feet are on liquid, and he starts to sink. And he goes, Lord, save me. And look at the next word. It says immediately. And I love that. 
It doesn't say that Jesus had to travel the 40 yards he was away to get to Peter. It says immediately he was there. Which tells me that Peter was a whole lot closer to Jesus than he thought he was. And Jesus was a whole lot closer to Peter than Pete thought he was. It says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And here he says it again. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Here's the point I'm trying to make this morning. You've already heard it once. I'm going to show it to you again. Faith is the opposite of fear. You have little faith. Why why'd you stop? You took your eyes off me. You put your eyes on the wind, and, and you started to doubt again. Peter was incredibly fearful. But faith fends off fear. In fact, a little active participation this morning. I want everybody to say that with me. Faith fends off fear. One more time, everybody. Faith fends off fear. That's what it does. Faith is the opposite of fear. Here's something really encouraging. The disciples still didn't learn their lesson. Because a little bit later in the Gospels, Jesus is arrested. And they beat him within an inch of his life. And they took a crown of thorns, really sharp thorns, and they pressed it into his brow. And they took spikes and they drove them through his hands and through his feet onto a cruel cross. And he roasted naked in the sun. And when that happened, the disciples, they didn't go to the memorial service. They, they weren't right there. No, they started to lie and deny. In fact, Pete, the one we just wrote about, read about, uh, Peter, he starts denying Christ. He does it three times. Hey, aren't you one of his followers? Because I'm sure they thought, well, if they killed our master, they're coming for us next. Hey, aren't you Pete? No, I, I'm, I'm Pedro. Like, I don't know, he just, I don't know who you're talking about. I'm not, I'm not his follower. They're still fearful. Look at John 20. Right after the crucifixion of Jesus, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were, were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leadership. I'm scared they're coming to get me next. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I love that, by the way, because I'm sure they're like, how did you get in the room? Right? And he goes, peace. And after this, he showed him his hands. Look, boys. You can see right through it. Check it out. And his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Another gospel writer talks about that, that he breathed on them. And he broke bread. He goes, hey, listen, I'm not an apparition. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a figment of your imagination. It's me. I'm back. I'm back, boys. And right after this moment, the disciples finally got it. They didn't fear anymore. In fact, they would be willing to die for their faith. They had the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leadership. And something happened in that room that they came out of that room and said, I'll, I'll die for you. They went from completely scared to completely brave. In fact, history records from Fox's Book of Martyrs and other texts, history records that they did. They were martyred. Matthew was slain with a sword in Ethiopia. Mark was cruelly dragged through the streets of Alexandria until he died. Luke was hanged upon an olive tree in Greece. Peter was crucified at Rome, uh, in Rome with his head downward. He was crucified upside down. James the Greater was beheaded at Jerusalem. James the Less was thrown from a lofty pinnacle and then beaten to death with a fuller's club. Bartholomew was flayed alive. That seems like the worst way to go for me. That They would just literally flay you until you died. 
Andrew was bound to a cross whereby he preached to his persecutors until he died. And that's what's interesting about all of these men is every single time they said, just announce Christ. Just tell us it's all a hoax and we'll let you live. And every single time they say, you know what, whatever you want to do to me, I'm, I saw it with my own eyes. He's back. He came from the grave. I put my, my, my finger through the nail scars. I, I can't deny what I've seen, what I've experienced, what I've heard with my own senses. Listen, to live as Christ, if I'm here, I'm going to preach Christ. You're going to hear me talk about Christ. If I'm on the cross, you're going to crucify me. I'm going to talk about Christ. And if you kill me, guess what? That's my gain. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Because I get to go be with him forever. And that was just their, their mentality. Every single one of them like, just kill me. I mean, you, yeah, kill me, kill me. Thomas was run through his body with a lancet core mantle. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias was first stoned, then beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death. Paul was beheaded at Rome by the emperor Nero. John, they couldn't kill John. They put him in a cauldron of boiling oil. And he's like, anybody got any soap? I'd like to take a little bath. And they couldn't kill him. So then they just said, well, just put you on an island called Patmos, which is where he would write Revelation. Every single one of these men were martyred. They went from completely scared, doors locked, fear of the Jewish leadership to kill me. What happened? It wasn't a sermon. It wasn't a great song that they sang. They experienced a resurrected Jesus and their fear of death was then vanquished because they said, if he can conquer death, what do I have to fear? Jesus has conquered your fears. He's already beat your diseases. He's already beat coronavirus. He's got it all. So what are we fearful of, church? Faith is the opposite of fear. We just put our faith in Christ and say, Christ, it's by your stripes we're healed. There's nothing that you can't do. You're a great physician. I don't care what all the other doctors say. I care what one doctor says. I care what you say. I want you to come to the same conclusion. That Jesus Christ really did die for your sins. Really did rise from the grave and was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people. He has resurrection life and he offers it to you today. He offers it to you watching online today. I want you to keep your eyes on him. Because if you're like Peter and you take your eyes off of him and you put it onto Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you will get fearful really quickly. But if you'll keep your eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of that faith, That fear will not debilitate. What do you fear? For some of you, you don't fear this virus, and that's okay. This is still an apropos message because there's something else you fear. You fear your kids' safety. You fear your parents' safety. You fear loss of income during this season. You fear, whatever you fear, let me say it this way. Whatever you fear the most is where you're trusting God the least. So have some faith. His faith is the opposite of fear and saying, God, I just, I recognize I have a fear, but I'm going to trust you anyway, because I know you love me, and I know you're for me, and this doesn't surprise you. Every day has been ordained and written in your book before one of them came to be, so I'm going to trust you. And if you're not truly honest with whatever your fear is, you're going to come this close to freedom and miss it. Coming into this weekend, you may have worked yourself into a big, giant mess of anxiety. 
It may not be one message, by the way, that erases all of that. I get that. Now, some of you, I believe that God can work instantaneously, and you can hear something like this, and you can be convicted, and God sets you free from that forever. I believe that can happen. But for some of you, when Lazarus came out of the grave, he's still out on the grave clothes, and they had to unwrap him. For some of you, this may just be one layer, and it may take some more things like this for you to completely free yourself from fear. But I'm just asking you to let God superintend that process. I close. Some of you, this is what you need to do. I want you to get out your smartphone. And uh, you got the Bible app, you version? You got that one? It's free. And I want you to go to Psalm 23, very familiar psalm. And maybe like before you wake up every morning, before you jump on Facebook and see the latest posts and what's canceling today, Maybe open up Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Why do I not fear? Why? For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to ask Carrie to join me as we get to a moment of invitation. Something I love to do, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, there's a little, in the top right-hand corner, there's a little speaker icon. And if you don't like to read... This is a really great thing because it'll read to you. As you're driving to work or as you're just getting ready in the morning, just click on that little speaker icon and you can have this most soothing voice just read to you in the morning. And this may be, until this all blows over, a really good practice for you to do. Is over the next month, a couple of weeks, however long this takes, you just open up your app to Psalm 23. You hit that little speaker icon and you just push play. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm beautiful. He'll keep going. I just love that. I love just listening to that. And it just, it does. It brings a peace. And Philippians 4 says it passes understanding. He goes, don't worry about stuff. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, including this thing. It's captivating our country. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. I don't know why I shouldn't have peace. I don't know what my job looks like. I don't know what my 
family looks like, I'm scared for my parents, all these things that you may be fearful of. I just have a peace that passes understanding that guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I want you to have that peace. And I don't want you to leave that book until you have that peace. Here's what I'd love to do. She's going to play in just a moment, and we're just going to stand and worship. We're going to sing about the heart of worship. But some of you today, you need Jesus. It's impossible for you to not have fear because you don't have faith. And this is the first step, is you saying, I want to put my faith in a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Now listen, I know that there's scary stuff. We, we didn't have our prayer time today. I didn't greet you at the front. I promise I won't breathe on you. But if you want to come down and let Pastor Josh or I know that I want to start faith, from a six-foot distance, we will pray for you. <laughs> I'm teasing. And I'd love for you to begin that process today. In fact, I'll do it now and, and, and uh, just so we can all do it together. That way you don't have to come down here if you're scared. Because I know fear is a real deal. It's all over the Bible. But faith is the opposite of fear. I'd love for you to start that faith today. So would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? If that's you, you say, Pastor Reed, I want to put my faith in Christ. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, if I'm honest, I do have some fear. But I want to give that to you today. Because you've overcome the world. Lord, I, I pray that you would help me to live brave and bold as you empower me. God, I think about all the times that I've wronged you, that I've gone my way opposite to your way. The Bible calls it sin. We missed his mark. God, I'm sorry for when I sin. And I'm asking you to forgive me of those sins. I'm aware that you died on the cross for those sins, that you were buried and that you rose again. And you beat the grave. And you beat death. And thus, I don't have to fear those things anymore because when I put my faith in you, you give me abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. You help me to overcome death and the grave as well. So Jesus, I give my life to you today. I want you to be my Savior and be my Lord. Meaning you're in control from this day forward. And then just tell him in your own way that you love him. Jesus, we do love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.